0: Making a no-budget film? It's like going to war. But you're not General MacArthur. You're more like a squad of Viet Cong gorillas behind enemy lines. Trying to complete an impossible mission using guile and your wits. It's risky, difficult, and dangerous. I can swear to it. I've been there. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast. Putting the sin back in the cinema every Monday, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, all over the place. Matt, we have a big show today, lots going on, including the, announcing the winners for our first uh, week of the Tournament of Terror to crown the greatest of all time horror film, the horror goat, as it were.
1: Well, that's exciting. I wonder who it could be.
0: Uh, we're gonna We're going to tally up all the votes now. We're going to let you guys know whom you voted for. We're also going to talk about uh, this week's films that are combating one another and where to vote so you can continue to be a part of history. And then, Matt, we have uh, two new segments that we want to roll out for everyone and see if they enjoy them. The first one is called uh, Matt Goes to the Movies, wherein, Matt, you, in fact, go to the movies. Yes. And then you tell us about your experience.
1: That's true. I I actually went to a movie, and I'll tell you about it.
0: And then uh, then we have another one, uh, another new segment to announce. That's called Dave's Deep Cuts wherein I watch maybe a lesser-known film, a more obscure flick, and I let you know whether it's a uh, diamond in the rough or just a big old stinking piece of coal. Uh, and if we have any time, we'll answer some millback questions as well.
1: That sounds good to me. Um, I, You know, I, I, before we get into all that, though, I thought that uh, maybe today uh, we something we haven't really talked about, and it's kind of our roots, you know, and that's okay. that's indie horror films. We haven't really been yeah. on that subject in a while, you know.
0: Right. So speaking of indie horror, Matt, I watched a film recently called A Dark Song. There's a slight hesitation when I use the term horror. And I say that because, well, the film deals with the uh, grief of a woman. Who we, f- we discover how she has lost her son throughout the the story of the film. And she enlists the help of a modern-day witch, a man, who, who deals with uh, the supernatural, uh, Kabbalah, summoning your gardening angel... Um, your guardian, your guardian angel. Uh, gardening, your gar-
1: gar- gardening angels are pretty useful too, though. Yeah, you know, they but,
0: use uh, they help plant yeah. all your plants. They ward
1: yeah. off harmful insects that might eat your crops, and uh, that's
0: right. Your tomatoes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He he actually helps summon your guardian angel, and so it's crazy. It's a crazy process. So the movie is, I mean, the the term slow burn. I think it's used way too much, but this is certainly a slow burn to the point where halfway through the film I was questioning if this was a horror movie at all it felt very much like a drama I was almost it's strange like the the process in which this lady has to go to summon this angel is is almost like a it's almost like torture like she's got she gets like waterboarding type deal and she's got to not sleep for 3 days and then she t- she's you know she does a she foregoes what what is alluded to as the the forgiving ritual, so she's got to drink his blood. Um, it's crazy. It's like this whole time you're wondering like, is this guy just manipulating this woman and torturing her? And you're like, you're not quite sure. Wow. There's also a scene where he's like, oh, you gotta you gotta do sex magic for part of this, and so she strips naked, and then he just starts like masturbating in front of her, and then he reveals there's no sex magic as part of this ritual. He just he he was he had a cloudy mind, and so he had to relieve himself to, like, clear his mind. It's super weird. It's very heady. But the last 15 minutes of this get crazy. And I don't want to ruin anything, but, like, if, if up until this point you're starting to question the validity of what they're doing, I think the answers will come in the last 15 minutes. It's super cool. And there's a really, really awesome scene at the very end when you can tell – yeah uh, you, know, you could tell that this was a lower budget film but they saved their budget for like this these last few moments it's it's super cool i really i really ended up really enjoying it but um matt you you and I were talking a little bit off the air about some indie horror films and and some of the um maybe some of the problems that that you find in them and I thought that this it was really interesting because this film that I watched we didn't discuss ahead of time but it really seems to lend itself to some of the issues that that maybe you have seen in some of the more indie horror films that you've watched.
1: Yeah. I think there's kind of like two main, like for me, there's like two, two, when I watch a really low budget indie horror film, there's like kind of two categories that I put it in. And one is the category of, uh, you know, why you come to indie cinema in the beginning where you're just like, you, you want to see art projects by people who had like real vision, but just don't have that, big budget studio backing and they've, but they've got a story they want to tell. They've got an idea they want to get out and they do it with care. They do it with, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of concern and they, and they get their idea out. And, uh, there's a lot of great films out, like really great indie films out there that you'll see that are that, where you're, you're going, um, there's a reason this was made, you know, and it's, and it's, it did. The reason is the art. It is the film. It's not, You know, uh, some um, just just to bolster a portfolio or something like that. But then there's that other category that I do feel is like uh, where filmmakers are just kind of trying to show. You know, they have a low budget, they get marginal talent, and they just kind of try to show the big studios that if you give me a chance, I can make one of your kind of movies. And a lot of those those tend to be like the um, to me are like the you know indie slasher films, the like the just where it's just like basically the same thing the big studios are doing but just on a lower budget with with less talent and uh, yeah i try to avoid those but it sounds like this one that you watched is um the uh what what was it called again the 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 dark Uh, uh, a a dark song dark song yeah like what you're talking about like i love that trick that indie you know indie horror filmmakers will do where they kind of they have to, they know they've only got so much they can you know put into the the visual effects of it and all that so they just kind of like let it build until that you know right. moment at the end and then they just artfully like hit you with all of it uh, well, so yeah it's really uh, great. so
0: we follow Sophia's journey to her decision right it's like it's like sh- she's being led into the garden of good and evil and she has to decide is she going to choose forgiveness or vengeance and that's part of what makes the film so interesting, along with its treatment of witchcraft.
1: Oh, uh, how, what does it do about witchcraft? What?
0: Well, like you know, inter- like a, a more campy film, or maybe a film that leans really heavily on tropes. Even even movies that I love, like say The Craft. You, like okay. witchcraft has this really—it's almost superpowers, right? It's almost like ma- its its magic, but it's magic like in a we can fly and we can cast spells and things of that nature. And right. this is actually very it's it's a very uh intense process there's a cleansing process it's almost very torturous it's like there's there's obstacles along the way that are supposed to like turn you away from continuing on to your path it's very it's very nuts and again it you question at least through halfway through the film whether or not these characters are just like you know, are they just mad? Are they just overcome with this despair? Or or are they actually on to something? And and even because of the nature of the, the ritual, you know, the lack of sleep and nutrition and this, you know, like, are they hallucinating? I mean, you never know. You 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 don't really know as you're watching the film, like, the direction that it's meant to go. But it's really interesting that it keeps you captivated the entire time and then gives you that payoff, you know? So it really... Pulled its resources in the right place and it feels like a story with a message it feels like the filmmaker was trying to say something and not just show hey look what I can do at a low budget so if you give me a big budget I can go make whatever Marvel movie you got on the slate
1: right yeah Which, which unfortunately these days I think that actually that method works (laughs) because like these big studios are getting aware. Uh, I mean, some some of the uh, guys directing some of these major films now. These uh, you know the big video game like where they like we've had a show about that where they adapt video games into films, and, right? Or even some of the Marvel ones. It's like some of these directors or the DC ones, uh, especially like some of the directors they they get are um they're they're almost amateur hour. I mean, and it's yeah. like, and I think they do that because they there are certain. Limita- there's certain things that you know that they know will make money, but they don't necessarily make good art and so i yeah, think right. um yeah these these kind of kiss ass like ho- hacky filmmakers uh get these really important you know big budget jobs because they uh they they know that they'll say yes to those kind of decisions. Does that make right. sense what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, it does. And I've, I've actually had the misfortune of working on a couple of films where you could tell the filmmakers don't actually have any true love of horror. Yeah. You know, or like or like, if they do like horror, it's stuff like – and not. And I mean, look, The Shining is amazing. But The Shining feels like one of those films that's a horror film that, that intellectuals are allowed to like.
1: Uh huh.
0: You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like you could still sip your champagne and say that you like The Shining, and and no one's gonna judge you like they would if you say you watch like Sleepaway Camp three. So,
1: (laughs) is there a part three of Sleepaway Camp? I don't don't know. I'm sure there is. Probably.
0: probably. (laughs) And I watched the hell out of it. But um, a lot of filmmakers, uh, indie filmmakers, and and I don't know that this is as effective a method these days but it was for a while certainly when i was getting into the industry Uh well they think that horror films are inherently cheap right just slop some blood on some stuff we got a killer with an axe or a knife or chainsaw or whatever yeah and you could prove you could make your movie for cheap and it will be nothing more than a glorified calling card with really not the same level of passion that is really required to make great art regardless of the budget
1: right well to me I mean, because horror to me is about it's it's the ride man it's it's that f- way it makes you feel the entire film you know and with, where you can have films like the one that you're reviewing right now where you're going like you're you're in this uh confused state and you're trying to you know uh say like am i actually seeing something here or is this two crazy right. people um Or there's ones that just make you incredibly uncomfortable because you're so afraid of, you know, they they've gotten you to care about all of these characters, and now all of those characters are in a ton of danger. Kind of like that's that was kind of how I felt about Evil Dead, Uh, the the 2013. I brought that up. It's in our tournament right now, and and that's one of the reasons I thought, you know, this is one of the best horror films because it the whole they do get you to care about these characters, and then once the danger hits, it is real danger and you, and you, and it's right. it's really intense uh and then and then there's ones that just um you know they just uh t- take you on a wild ride that's just where, where you're kind of almost entertained by the crazy gore level of gore and the the wild right. that, the, you know like texas chainsaw massacre that kind of thing where you're just like amazed at what you're seeing and it's a it's a disturbing experience uh but then then there's these ones that just they're so full of cliches and they're so everything you're seeing. It's like, you've seen it before. And, um, and, and those seem to be, I don't know what it is. It's, it's like, uh, someone must've set a precedence, uh, back in the eighties. And it's just, it's, there's so many like well, filmmakers that are hard to get away from that trope. You know,
0: uh, I'll tell you what, what has occurred a couple of different times o- over the years, because filmmaking inherently is very expensive. It just is. I mean, even what we consider low budget is like, you know, five hundred k, six hundred k. Like in the real world, that's a lot of money, and that's with z- that in my world, zero resources oftentimes. Right? right?
1: Yeah, because you've got to hire so many people.
0: Right. I and, had. Uh, a, I did a is. budget. Yeah, I did a budget for a film recently that was relatively, you know, uh, contained and written to be small. Like it was one house, um, six characters. But even that, as I was doing the numbers, it was like 1.2 million is where you want to be at. And, you know, there was a little bit of sticker shock, but I'm saying like.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, you know, it, like I, the only thing I compare it to would be like start your own business, hire like 40 people, and yeah. just run it for six months. And how much would that cost? You know? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the perspective on it. So yeah. um, I think that people, because of the 80s in particular, I think that people got in their head that horror movies were the cheaper movie to make Yeah. Um, outside of dramas, right? But dramas don't inherently have that, that built-in base, and so people thought the quick way into Hollywood is to make a horror film. The problem with that is that the market got completely saturated with these really terrible horror films, and that's not really a assured way in any longer, if mm-hmm. it ever was, right? I'm also... I also think back to one of my favorite movies, Swingers. When they made, when John Favreau wrote Swingers, uh, they enlisted Doug Lyman to be the, initially the producer. And then he insisted on directing as he didn't think John Favreau was ready yet. And uh-huh. he, he basically put to them, we have two choices here. We have a budget for two choices. We can either make a really shitty looking studio film, or we can make a really artistic art house film. Yeah. And uh, they, they chose the latter. And I think the movie really is special because of that, right? Like, they could have cast, like, Brecken Myers and, you know, yeah. David Schrimmer and, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of like, you know, guys that would have been, no, no disrespect to those actors, but just they would have been, they would have made it feel like a, a slicker, like an attempt at a studio film without any of the resources to make it happen and in fact I think cast I mean look at the cast now those were all unknowns and John Favreau yeah, no, none Fitz of those Ron, guys I mean, had had a
1: leading role ever uh, that's I mean, right I think John Favreau before that I think he was in that movie PCU
0: yeah do you remember yeah. that character like, he, yeah was, he, he was he was the guy don't be that guy
1: yeah he was just this like chubby stoner guy that had dreadlocks and <laughs> just kind wore of the like, shirt yeah yeah he,
0: he wore the shirt of the band to the concert of the band
1: he's a great character he did a great Yeah job, it was awesome. but I'm not I'm not dogging yeah. that but I'm just saying like yeah like Vince Vaughn, John Travolta like nobody had had a leading role now look at them yeah.
0: Right and so I think that there are lessons to be drawn from that and if you watch a dark song I think you'll you'll feel this as well like put your efforts into making the best art the most meaningful art something with some heart and some passion behind it and I think regardless of the genre, you're far more likely to get noticed by those. If that's your goal ultimately is to work on bigger stuff, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, I suppose. Yeah. But, but it's only going to come from, from honing your craft and showing a level of uh, artistic vision that can only come if you have passion behind the project. And you're not just doing something paint by numbers in hopes that you'll say, well, look, I made a movie, so give me a big film. a a real film
1: that's why I love horror I mean that's the thing you know because people are kind of like I think I think non-horror fans like people who don't watch a lot of horror films who are like I I, you know they they avoid the genre they don't get it when you tell them yeah I love horror films you know I watch a bunch of them it's one of my favorite genres they don't get it because they're looking at the whole spectrum of all of it together and they're looking at the stuff that makes it to the top you know that that gets into the theaters they're going like these are just you know G- gory titillating films uh you know they' they're they're not for people who want to think, you know whatever, but like th- that's and they and they're right they they're not wrong, but what I'm what you know what they're missing out on is that what they what they don't see is is that horror is a uh it's a challenging genre. It's something right. that you've got to be incredibly clever to pull off. You've got to have a great idea. You've got to make no compromises, and you've got to do it just right, or it's going to look so stupid. And right. so, a- when it hits, when it actually works, it's a it's 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 a a rare thing, and it's a I, great experience. Absolutely.
0: I mean, you mentioned last week that art is holding the mirror up to society, and I don't think that's ever more true than with. Horror movies, good horror movies. I mean, look at something like Night of the Living Dead, for example. Yeah. Right? That was all about... Uh, that was an allegory for racism in America. If you look at films like uh, Hellraiser, for example, the acceptance of, of, of gay influence on films, right, and how people are perceived and like leather daddies and things of that nature. Well, like, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of undertones is, in there. Is,
1: are, you, are you saying because the Cinnabites dressed in leather and kinda of have S and M gear that they're I now I, I do believe that Clive Barker is a gay man. That's correct. So you may not be wrong. But I don't I don't know that the most viewers are going to make that connection. Or even if they do they, make the connection, that it would be necessarily a positive take well, but on that's, that.
0: But that's all the more like in the same way that um that you know we we know that someone like a David Bowie might gender bend but like uh-huh. i got, i think some of the real gender bending was done by people like like a uh, like Rob Hofford from Judas Priest you know and uh yeah. the Clive Clive Barker as well like their their introduction of what was going on in certain sects of of gay culture in the in the 70s and 80s especially the 80s like helped normalize that culture you know in a very subtle way and i think that that's those are things that that those are those are the the things that horror movies are capable of doing, and, and heavy metal too, for that matter. Right? Like you see Rob Rob Hoffer like wearing biker gear and looking cool, and you start to accept all that, and then you know he comes out as a gay man, and you're just like, you start to break away from the tropes and the stereotypes that existed prior, right? Of of a more effeminate look. Okay. And yeah. So. Um, this is this is the power of horror, and this is what it, it, it The greatest horror has always had a social has always been a social response, uh,
1: the, the good stuff. But that that's the thing too, that, yeah. that we're talking about a genre that's that's saturated with a lot of bad stuff, and and I, I do feel that the bad stuff perpetuates a lot of those problems. You know, uh, like sure. look at the um, the eighties, you know, seventies, uh, late seventies, and then pretty much all the eighties. The it seemed like. A, a lot of the main theme, you know, with your like Nightmare on Elm Street, your Friday the 13th, which are which are cool movies. But there is this weird sort of like punishment of sexuality, especially feminine sexuality. Have you ever noticed that? It's sure. like,
0: yes, it's it's very prevalent. And I, and I would I would say that it is probably a reflection of the Reagan era.
1: Well, I think I, it's r- maybe, but I still I feel like a lot of indie horror these days, the stuff we're talking about that we don't like. I feel like it still contains a lot of that. Like they're still thinking it's there, you know. They still have that like you know, you know that yeah. scantily clad well, character and she's just a little too confident and she's just a little too sexy and and you just know she's marked. She's doomed because right. Well, you got to like, movie.
0: Yeah, you got to remember that in the 80s You were dealing with a government that was uh, espousing the virtues of, quote-unquote, just say no. You had the the AIDS epidemic just sort of starting to come into the public consciousness. You had uh, rampant drug use uh, in Wall Street and with the upper elite, right? These were real fears going on that people were just starting to get their head around. You're coming off of the uh, debauchery of the 70s. And so leaning into some of those anxieties that society was dealing with at the time – in order to create a fright, made sense. Yeah. Right. It makes it's. This is why these films that are get that get remade don't resonate in the same way because we live in an entirely different culture now. I mean, you could go to Instagram, and you could see far more titillating content that you would have ever been allowed to see in the 80s. Right. Um, you could also say the 70s and the 80s was sort of the boom and maybe the golden age of porn. Right. So there was a lot going on in in society that that allowed those types of films to work right and we don't live in that society anymore we're not i mean there's still there's still permanent problems with the way that feminine sexuality is is perceived and accepted or not accepted but it's it's still different than it was then
1: yeah yeah i think i think the um it's changing a lot that that, that is sort of i think people are starting to you know not starting to i think for a long time now people have caught on that this like punish the bad kid with you know death to the sexually free or whatever that was uh it's, yeah. it does seem to be dying off though i i don't know I, I i know you know one of the to be like one of the um worst uh offenders of this was the a film from the 70s called i spit on your grave oh and, yeah um, and they, they, they
0: kicked off a whole subgenre of of rape horror.
1: Yes. And they've remade this film and it has, the remake has sequels, but Mm. no, but I think you probably didn't even, were you even aware that they remade it or that there were any sequels? I,
0: I heard, no, I heard there was a remake, but I didn't know about the sequels. It doesn't surprise me.
1: Right. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, I mean, people aren't interested in that kind of stuff anymore. So I, I don't no, know. That's good.
0: But you, you look at a film like Midsummer, which I thought did a much better job in a modern way of dealing with anxieties. Like it could have gone down the, tro- we talked about this at length over two episodes, but it could have gone down the trope of like four guys going to Sweden to get laid. Oh no, they get caught by a cult. Now nah, they're all dying. Like yeah, so simply could have gone that direction, but there are so much more layers. The ideas of mental health, the ideas of what Western relationships are built upon. The ideas of um, you know we talked about like, is it worth giving up your individuality to become part of a larger group? I mean, there are some there's some deeper themes there that a lesser filmmaker would have just been like, dudes are trying to get laid and now they are dying because sex is bad.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. that I think we've probably seen the last of that for the most part, and that's good. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping
0: so. I'm hoping so. But I, 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 re- I hope that you guys take a look at this film. Uh, it does require some attention and some uh, following. It some patience because it's a slow burn and it's a slow build. But I think that once you get to the end, you'll you'll see that the the payoff is well worth it.
1: Well, I'm definitely gonna check that out. Um, it's I, I guess uh, w- Oh, what's that? Oh, five tusks! Five tusks! Five tusker! Wow!
0: Five tusker!
1: (laughs) Well, now I'm definitely going to check it out. That's impressive. (laughs) For no
0: other reason, yeah. For no (laughs) other reason than the ending alone, yeah, makes it all worth it. It was like a two tusker, three tusker. About midway through, well, the the tusk grew as it went.
1: Really. So you wanted me to talk talk about the uh, the movie I saw um, at the theater this week? Do I have to do a tusk rating for it? Because I didn't prepare that part.
0: Well, let's see how you go. Like this is, yeah. Let's yeah. Matt. You went to the movies. This is Matt goes to the movies. <laughs> tell us about so from from indie horror uh, and it's and the virtues and the downsides of it to the complete opposite end of the spectrum.
1: I went to the movies. All right. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> it was great. I, I had a couple drinks. Oh, I had a gift certificate to the movies too. And so, okay. I, we, yeah, nice. we we oh, it was nice. I tell you what, because. Uh, when you've got a $50 gift card to the Alamo draft house, you get to act like a King. So, <laughs> so I may not be reporting completely accurately on this film because there was a bit of drinking going on, a bit of feasting well, my, going on. We had a, we just, we just lived it up. It was wonderful.
0: My understanding is that might've helped the experience.
1: Oh, it, it wasn't a bad movie. Oh, I should tell you what okay. movie it is. Hey,
0: yeah. Tell me what movie. It was. Yeah.
1: Right. It was, well, it was, are you afraid of the dark? It was the, uh, I guess, mm, the, I guess I guess the film the film adaptation. I, I, are you I wait, wait, what are you was. afraid of dark? What is that? That's it's.
0: Uh, it was probably scary stories to tell in the dark.
1: What's are you afraid of the dark? That's a t- that's the Nickelodeon show. That was, show. A, that's n- that back was to a show on Nickelodeon. Yeah, how many drinks was it? It wasn't Goosebumps either. No. <laughs> 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 it was. I've been calling it that all week, man. It was scary stories to tell in the dark, yes. which was based on those. Weird little books we used to get when we were kids that had all the creepy illustrations in them.
0: Yeah, they were beautiful. They,
1: they were amazing illustrations. I, so, some of my inspiration as an artist, uh, at least when I was younger, that definitely inspired by that. My my college days had some. Nice. I would nice. say did some of the into, stuff I used to do had a little bit of, little bit of that did, in it.
0: Did you ever get into water water paints, watercolor?
1: Watercolor is fun, uh, but actually, that was what that guy was doing was um, ink it was all ink oh, just really? yeah you just get wow. the black ink and you, and you do mix it with water for some of the techniques he did uh you blow you get like a straw and you put a drop of ink on the page you kind of blow it around all those weird drippy wow. effects yeah that's cool yeah, yeah yeah ink drawings, a lot of fun uh pen and ink stuff though and we're not yeah we're not talking like a ballpoint pen either it's like so i used to i used to do this actually and it's, it's a great way to make uh, really cool illustrations but um, nice. cause yeah yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about yeah, everybody knows his illustrations all those weird yeah like course. gross drippy creepy lines and all that stuff yeah they're all pen and ink techniques man but um, aside from the craft portion of the books uh, that led to the um, monsters in the film uh, so well the idea behind this was to see if you could okay so what I was expecting going in was like some kind of anthology where like they took you know the different stories from the books and they uh just kind of one segment after another, you know, like like a lot of the right. horror movies have been, you know, VHS, ABCs of Death, that kind of thing, where they just show like one clip and then another clip and then another, you know. Maybe there's some kind of overarching plot tying them together. It wasn't that. This was like uh, it's, it was it was it was, a, it was a strange it was a it was bold. It was like an attempt okay. to make a coherent story that somehow made the stories of the book part of the story of the movie it was it was strange it was about a uh, some teenagers in a in a town in the 1960s around Halloween and they find this book in a haunted house and it has these stories in it and as they start to read them uh, the actual events and the stories start happening to people and it was a it was a creative take on it it was weird it was kind of like to me it felt like if uh, there was a contest and to see who could make a plot line out of scary story. <laughs> no, I was almost said, are you afraid of dark again? Uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. That would be the winner. It would have, okay. that would have been the winner for sure. But like, right. but it also felt like, why do this? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like these were really cool, independent, scary stories. They could just stand alone. You don't have to make it into a, uh, typical movie just just make those stories you know it was kind of like why do you need all this like origin where all the stories are in the same universe it was weird but um as far as movies based on those goosebumps and the all, all, all those kids horror series when we were kids as far as the movies based on those things i will say this is the only one that felt like there was any kind of real sense of danger in it like people were actually dying it, it, yeah, if, if the children didn't, like, well, they were, like, teenagers, but, like, if they didn't, like, figure out right. how to solve their problem, like, they would all end up dead. Like, that was an actual thing, and and some of them did die. So, like, it was it was an actual horror film. It wasn't, like, because I did see the Goosebumps movie with uh, Jack Black, and, yeah, it's, like, all these terrible monsters are being summoned by these Goosebumps books or whatever, but they're just kind of all they're really doing is just flying around and going like boo and like scaring people you know this, this was right. different this it's, was like you'll you'll get stabbed to death you'll get you know pulled into the void and screaming like this was like you're in danger for sure so it was well, it was good it was a real yeah. I, and i think it has a pg13 rating and i think the only reason it didn't get the r is cuz it just it didn't have like r rated language basically
0: well well i think also i mean i have not seen the movie i almost saw the movie uh, and then you advised me to wait till video, but um, just watching the trailer, it feels like a studio, a big studio take on this book. It feels like the sort of lack of creativity that comes with studios that don't really understand horror and think, well, you got you got to put young, good-looking people in it, and you got to tie it all together. And people aren't gonna be tra- be able to track different stories if they're not sort of interconnected to one larger story. Um, I don't know how you know it was written and produced, or at least story by and produced Guillermo del Toro. So there was high expectations. Yeah. Aside from the fact that if you love the the Alvin Schwartz book, um, you know that's some pedigree attached to it. And at least from when I watched the trailers, it felt very pedestrian, PG thirteen studio horror.
1: Well, it, the trail I I actually didn't see the trailer. It may have given that impression, but that wasn't really the movie I watched. It wasn't the you know great looking actors and everything i mean these were kind of like the nerdy kids in town that like Mm. very a lot more similar to like the crew of uh it you know than than like um your typical like hollywood you know teenage romp slasher thing it was like these were kids that just didn't really have a lot of friends outside of each other and they rode bikes around and uh like the main protagonist protagonist is um a uh, A really cool uh girl that just like her mother has died and she doesn 't have any friends, and these two guys hang out with her and you know there it's and it's sat in the sixties which was kind of a cool touch too because right. you know we've talked about that before how it's kind of hard it's harder it's getting harder to make horror films in, in, in the modern age because um, of smartphone. Yeah, you can yeah. always call for help. You always have a smartphone. You, it's hard to get lost. You know, all, all the modern technology makes a lot of those horror cliches difficult to pull off these days. So they set this one in the 60s. And I'll say, I really enjoyed all the characters. They were very believable. Very cool characters. It just... Um, It just didn't need to be scary stories to tell in the dark. It it could have been anything. Right. It was just like the only way that it was scary stories to tell in the dark is that the monsters attacking the kids were from those stories. Right. I wonder
0: if, I mean, this happens all the time, so it's not being super cynical to assume this. I wonder if the studio took whatever Guillermo's original story was and said, you know, what's really popular right now is it. It did amazing. So why don't we do – why don't we take this known franchise and we make it more like it in, in the sense that it's like following young people around. that are kind of like the loser club. Yeah. And they've got to escape a monster because it sounds like what you're describing to me is like the studio trying to cash in on that popularity.
1: It very well could have been. I'm not sure, uh, but but I could see that. Like, it, and, and you haven't even seen the film, and you made that assumption, no. and, and I could totally yeah. see that having seen the film, where they were just kind of like, "Let's do something. Let's kind of make our own it franchise." And they only, uh, I want to say, they only sampled from maybe like four or five of the, of the stories, you know, of of those yeah. books. So I do think there's. It's very likely that there's some kind of sequel coming in the future, because. Yeah. Um, you know if it did well if it did well yeah cuz a lot of the characters they uh they didn't make it but um you know there were some survivors and like there was even kind of like a thing at the end that was a little bit you know like maybe we'll you know get revenge or something along those lines so right. so i could see that but they were kind of trying to set it up to be their own little like you know uh it uh, stranger things you know that uh, stranger things doing the 80s thing uh it doing the 80s thing and this this going yeah. like we'll do a late 60s thing you know because it was it was cool uh the late 60s setting was good but um and the character and there I did like the characters but it, yeah I just I think that was my feeling overall though in the end was just like this wasn't really necessary you know like yeah, yeah it's a, to to do this it just seemed like someone wanted to see if they could Guillermo del Toro yeah, I suppose a, wanted to see if he could do yeah. it
0: What's interesting is the books were published in nineteen eighty one so it feels like an eighties setting would have been more natural, but I guess you know again, trying to tap into that it zeitgeist I'm sure they they thought setting it a little further back would give it more of that like down home feel with monsters come to raise terror
1: or maybe no one would accuse them of doing a stranger things it thing if it wasn't if it was set in the eighties you know maybe, they they would probably get true. accused of that, so they oh, all yeah. set in the sixties, so no one says we're trying to be stranger things.
0: You know what? I have a I have a, a tie into this. So years ago, maybe seven years ago, I was working at a company, and the producer at the company, my boss, was looking for new properties to do uh, web content. So we're getting really good get into this. Like this is kind of right as Netflix was starting to become the big thing, but YouTube was still kind of like a platform that was unexplored. It was like the new frontier of like distributing content. Uh-huh. And I actually reached out to the uh, to the Swartz family, uh, Alvin, the author, has passed, but his son Peter yeah. is sort of the caretaker of the property. And uh, reached out to him on Twitter, I think, and kind of hunted him down, and finally got a response. And you know, I said I was really interested in in optioning scary stories to tell in the dark to do as a web series, right? Um, because I grew up on these books, and I just loved them so much, and they were they were like campfire stories. Oh yeah, come to life with the way they were written, and of course um steven gamel's art right yeah fantastic so you know he passes me along to the publisher and this is like a a, few weeks process me trying to track down the right people to get a hold of so i finally get a hold of the person i need to talk to and they say um listen i like the idea i like what you guys are are trying to do but um we're we we are uh, about to close we just closed i think a week ago with a major studio oh wow and i said i said damn i said okay cool <laughs> i was like i was like even digital rights I'm like yeah they took everything i was like okay well look i took my swing you know you miss 100 percent of the swings you never take i took my swing and i was a week late who knows about wow. if i, I would have been able to get it you know but um but but a few years later seven years later you find out that it was guillermo and you Univer- was it universal i think it was universal and um and they made this so is this better than what I would have done at making it a series? I don't know, but um I'm a, I always have a a love-hate relationship with with whatever this movie ends up being because of the ideas that I had with it. Well,
1: I I will say if you you know, if you had planned on doing it by the as the book did it, you know, I think it would have been better because like I said it just it's just like this was um literally just the monsters from the book were attacking the people. It, it, it wasn't so much like, I mean, there was a little bit of like, um, similarity between the stories from the book and what happened to the kids. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it was just kind of, it, it seemed like it was more based on the drawings than it was the actual right. stories, you know, right. which is a bummer because those stories are so creepy and cool and quirky. And, uh, to just go, um, we want to make a film where all the drawings from scary stories to tell in the dark are attacking people. That's pretty much what they did.
0: Well, and to me, that's that we talked about this in indie film and clearly it exists in studio films as well. That's when I don't think you understand the power of the work that you're drawing from because the the power of scary stories to tell in the dark as written is that they were campfire stories. Yeah. In fact, years, uh, years after I attempted to get the actual story, I went and shot, never released my version, an updated version of the big toe, which I, my understanding is that's one of the monsters that makes the cut, right? What works in that story is that you're supposed to turn to the person next to you and scream, you took it, right? It's a slow build with the monster saying, who took my toe? Who took my toe? Who took my toe? Right. And then it builds to this moment where you turn to the person next to you and you say, you know, you grab them and you say, you took it. And that's the hook of the story. I think you could do that in a series format with jump scares, you know, with some tricky uh, camera work. And if you take that away, if you, if you make it to where the monsters have no direct connection to their victims, then it's just like you're, like to your point, you just took the illustrations and you wrote some other story around them with no real tight tie-ins.
1: Yeah, they they did the big toe in, in the film. And it was more like a, um, a kid finds some stew in his refrigerator and he believes his mom made it for him and he starts eating it. And then, um, you know, he sees there's a toe in it.
0: Yeah. See, there's the the original (laughs) story In the original story. The kid is a misbehave. He's a mischievous kid who finds what looks to be a a, a weird mushroom out in the woods and he picks it. Um, and it's actually a toe, right? And he drops it in his mom's stew because he's, he's being, he's being mischievous. And, as a as a result of his mischief, the monster comes and gets him. Like there's a morality tell there that's really important to the working to that story working.
1: Yeah. Well well a monster does come and he's missing a toe and he's saying who took my toe but um it just was well, it didn't feel like the uh it just was like a I I don't know. Yeah, it wa it was pretty much just um how can we put those stories in a movie and Yeah, that's disappointing. You know.
0: Well how would you rate it? I know you didn't come prepared with a Tusk rating, zero to five. But if you had to on the spot give a Tusk rating, just based on your initial reaction, <laughs> how many Tusk does Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark get?
1: Do, can we do half tusks? Sure. Uh, two and a half tusks, and I guess. Two and a half yeah, tusks. All right,
0: that's like, that's like a, to me that seems pretty average. Yeah. It's it's, probably like it's you, not a
1: complete waste of time.
0: Wait till it comes to home video. Yes. To VOD to watch Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and while you're waiting for that. Go watch a dark song, which is Five Tusk, and it's it's fantastic. It's the quite the opposite in terms of passion level, I think.
1: Yeah, uh, cool. I'm gonna check that one out for sure. Um, so what else do we have on the on the menu today?
0: Well, I think uh, I think people have been anxiously waiting to hear the results of week one of our Tournament of Terror.
1: Ah, I I want to know.
0: We want to we want to crown the goat, the horror goat, the greatest of all time. So I have the tally. Um, I think that this should come as no surprise, as as the favorites going in did get the the lion's share of votes. So in the Dave bracket for week one, Prince of Darkness, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, with Alice Cooper, versus The Omen, with the creepy kid. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
0: the votes are in. Prince of Darkness across our. At Grindhouse Podcast Instagram, across my personal Instagram, across our Facebook and Twitter. 29 votes for Prince of Darkness. Okay. A respectable showing. Um, And The Omen, how much would you guess?
1: More. I think The Omen probably won.
0: Yeah, it won. 61 votes. (laughs) So The Omen advances to the quarterfinals. And we'll win. The, and we'll combat the winner of this week's challenge. Um, in the Matt bracket, we had Slither, James Gunn produced. Uh, no, directed. James Gunn directed Slither yeah. versus another John Carpenter film, The Thing. Yeah. The, and Matt, I think we may have found our um, our favorite to maybe win the whole thing. So Slither came in at nineteen votes.
1: That's not bad. That's, I would not bad yeah, considering going up against The Thing. Yeah, that's. Yeah, it's still pretty good
0: the thing received 84 votes
1: 84 votes wow
0: so the thing advances the thing advances to the quarterfinals and will again it will combat in, in our quarterfinals against the winner of this week's challenge so we should get, go ahead and get i mean any surprises on your end as far as who won who lost the number of votes anything along those lines
1: uh honestly i am surprised that Slither got any votes going up against the <laughs> I I love Slither. It's a it's an amazing I mean it's so much fun. It was really cool. Right. It was like yeah, just I I had uh from Michael Rooker's performance uh to uh you know James Gunn's uh directing like it was just like I, I mentioned that like was his first um film after working for Troma and mm-hmm. it has a little bit of that chaos and Gore, uh, just gross out factor of a trauma film, but it's done so much more. I don't want to say professionally because traumas are the, the probably most gross people in the world, but it, it's, <laughs> <laughs> they do
0: the most with the least. Yeah,
1: It's just done. It's, it's a polished, it's more polished. We'll say. And um, yes. God, it was such a cool movie. It's such a, such a memorable movie for me, but uh, not like the thing. The thing was, you don't shake that one. <laughs> there's there's nothing like the thing, man. That is, that's a masterpiece.
0: Well, listen, we talked about you know indie horror, relatively indie horror, many many major horror leading to greater things, and I think that um, while James Gunn's Slither may not be advancing in our tournament of terror, I think he's done okay for himself. He's he's gone on to some some pretty big franchises to to helm. So it all oh, started yeah. with Slither, and and it started because. Slither is one of those films that we talked about that is filled with passion, creativity, originality, and a true love for horror. And so uh, while Prince of Darkness and Slither may not be advancing, check it out this Halloween season and, and enjoy.
1: James Gunn, and you're right, James Gunn has gone on to do some pretty big franchises. I think you're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, or if you pronounce GIFs as GIFs, Guardians of the Jealousy. <laughs> and I do. But what he hasn't- It's GIFs. What he hasn't done is horror again where's he at there man come back to us give us some more Well, he did
0: he did produce brightburn
1: oh bright okay he produced brightburn okay well i, I mean that's yeah, that's cool I, okay yeah
0: i think his brother wrote it he didn't direct it but he did produce it at least so there's yeah and that was a, a relatively smaller horror film so there i haven't seen that still I, yeah. i've been wanting to so um, there's still hints of it there. I want to see maybe, him
1: direct another horror film. I'm ready for it, man. I want to see him get weird again. I'd like that.
0: Yeah, I'd like I'd like for him to do that. You know who else I'd like? Not to d- derail us too much, but you know who else I'd like to see do a horror film? Tarantino. I, mean, I know he did *Death Proof*, but I think I'd like to see him tackle like a, a big horror story.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that's never happened before.
0: Yeah, it feels like his natural inclination is that story. So we'll see. We'll see if he does that. Um. So let's talk about this week's contest, week two of the first round of the Tournament of Terror. So in the Dave bracket, we have Wes Craven's New Nightmare, an honorable, if not understated, part of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. I think it's one of the first films that really started to introduce the idea of being more meta and self-aware in the horror genre, which then gave way to Wes Craven's Scream and... I know what you did last summer and some of the other films that that took the tropes from the 80s and turned them on their heads a little bit going up against Stanley Kubrick's the shinning it's the shining
1: uh yeah that was a simpsons reference if uh you yes. guys didn't get that shinning <laughs> so they didn't get sued i remember that part of the trial. but uh
0: but you guys can vote on our facebook We put up the poll there that last a week if you follow me directly, I'll, I'll probably put up the polls on my personal social media. And then, of course, our Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast to be a part of this. Let us know whether you prefer the new, Wes Craven's New Nightmare or The Shining. So in the map bracket, we have Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre and another John Carpenter film, In the Mouth of Madness.
1: Two very crazy, chaotic films, lots of violence, lots of... Uh, one a little more complex than the other, but... Uh... That's okay. Um yeah, they're very very different films, but uh, huh. uh we'll we'll just have to see what people what kind of experience people are going for. Do you want more of a weird cannibal simple people slashing at each other and and, and fighting and chopping up or do you want more of a reality bending heady H.P. Lovecraft kind of experience?
0: Well, we t- we talk about, you know, some of the films, that you know, indie horror and the idea of horror films getting into some um, higher concept territory. I think the four films that will be competing against each other up for this week, I think they fall into that territory in their own special way. So hopefully you guys not only vote, but are watching these films and enjoying them as we count down to Halloween. And We'll announce next week who the winner of this week's challenge is.
1: It sounds good.
0: I think this kind of, t- you know, coincidentally, this sort of ties into some of the things that we we're talking about at the top of the show. We have a mailbag question from our friend all the way from the great white north, Danielle, who uh, is actually at the time of this recording celebrating a birthday today.
1: Happy birthday, Danielle.
0: So, so Danny asked, how do you deal with grief and does it get easier?
1: Hmm. Yes. We talked. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah. <laughs> that, that I do know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we we talked about earlier uh, with my selection of The Deep Cuts, a a dark song about a movie that really centers around the idea of grief. So I think this question sort of comes at an appropriate time. Um, To answer the question, everyone deals with grief, I think, in its own way. If you look at that movie, that character initially starts down the path of seeking vengeance. Um, And if we were to use movies as a guide, I think that's a, a normal human response to be angry, to be upset, to... Uh, be, be it at, at the people who may be caused, what, you know, who at the cause of the grief or, you know, oftentimes uh, a higher power, God, you know, whatever, whatever you believe in. I think that's a very normal thing. Um, I know in my life I've had some moments that, you know, oftentimes uh, something that I think we can all relate to, which is uh, 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 the ending of a, a romantic relationship, a breakup, you know, and that might not be on the same level as say a death in a family, but that can cause its own type of grief. For me, I always found solace, it, and I think this is, comes to the core of why we do this podcast. I found solace in, in art and in films, and there are two t- two films in particular that I always go to. I hopefully will never have to go to them again for these reasons. Um, the four mentioned, Swingers, written by John Favreau and um, starring John Cusack's High Fidelity.
1: It you now, but what about the grief of um, you know, death? How do you deal with that?
0: Mm. That's tough. That's a tough one. I'll, I'll tell you, when when dealing with death, part of what, f- other than missing the person who's gone, part of what keeps the grief lingering, I think, is the sense of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And also, um, your your own path, your own future seems unclear when someone has been taken from it. There's a book that I'd like to recommend called The Alchemist. Matt, have you ever read that? I have. Now... It may not deal directly with the loss of someone, but I know for myself, it it has helped refocus me in terms of giving me my own vision, my own future to to forge. And I think that's an important thing. I think when you've experienced the loss of someone, living for them as well as yourself is the best thing you can do to honor their memory, create your own experiences and your own stories. And um, The Alchemist was a book that inspired me in all those ways and um you know maybe that's something that will inspire you or anyone who's suffering from grief as well
1: yes that's true and it's it's important to remember that even though the people we've lost aren't here with us for new experiences they were here with us for a lot of experiences and you've always got that no one's ever truly lost because you've got the your memories of them and you've got the things that you've been through with them and the changes they've made in you and it it is always tragic that they can't be here for the things to come but uh they were with us uh, for those part of the journeys that they were with us for. And um, that's something that you'll never lose.
0: That's right. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about films on this podcast. We obviously love movies. And at their core, they're stories. Right? We talk about why is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark so memorable to us? Because they're stories. And not only are these stories that are great in, in and of themselves, but they, they connect us with a part of our past. And in, in, in my instance, uh, part of our my childhood was growing up on these books right a lot of the movies in our brackets people have memories for their stories are stories that endure and they endure beyond generations people come and people go and we can pass these stories on to that next generation so i think it's important to remember that it's important to create our own stories be it through art or through just living our life so that the stories of the people we've lost live on
1: yeah Danny, we wish you luck, and we thank you for that question. It was a di- that's, that's more of a difficult one than we usually get, but uh, we welcome those, too. You know, if you've got anything to ask us, we'll, we'll give it a try. We hope we can help.
0: We've said before, we, we do this podcast not only because we like movies, but, but ultimately to create community. You know, Matt and I have known each other for a really long time, and if nothing else, this gives us an opportunity every week to chat with one another and to catch up and to just have a good time, and we invite you guys to sort of listen in to our conversations and to be part of this larger discussion. So we're here for you guys, as you guys have been here for us.
1: You've been listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the... Gosh, I love Indie Horror Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast. And listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.